we've got a bonus American Record Edition of the Let's Run.com Track Talk Podcast up next. You'll hear from your two new American record holders, Jared Nagus of the On Athletics Club, who this past weekend ran 728.24 to break Galen Rupp's nearly 10-year indoor record in 3,000 meters. And then around the 46-minute mark, check the show notes. You'll hear from Woody Kincaid, formerly of the Nike Bowerman Track Club. This past weekend, Woody ran 1251.61 to become the fourth fastest man ever at 5,000 meters, just 2.01 seconds off the world record. You're going to love these talks. We guarantee it. There's a reason Let's Run.com is the home of pro running. And if you love this type of content, you're going to love the Let's Run.com Supporters Club. It's the insider club in running where you get all the Let's Run.com content. A second podcast every week is available only to Supporters Club members. You get savings and running shoes. And if you sign up for a year, you get one of the famous super soft Let's Run.com t-shirts. And better yet, this week only, it's Jonathan Galt, our staff, Crack Rider's birthday. We're giving 100% of the signups, the money, to Jonathan Galt. Use code BIRTHDAY at checkout. You'll save 25%, and John will get all of your hard-earned cash. All right, here's Jared and Woody. Our first guest is Yared Nagus. He is the 2019 NCAA 1500 meter champion, a 2021 Olympian, and former collegiate record holder in the 1500 and 3000 meters. After finishing up at Notre Dame in 2022, he turned professional and is now a member of the Art Athletics Club based in Boulder, Colorado. And of course, on Friday, he broke the American record for 3000 meters in Boston by running 728. 24. Yared, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. Thank you guys for having me. Very excited to talk. And obviously the race on Friday was incredible. 728, you're faster than any American ever, not just indoors, but outdoors as well. Does having those names, those numbers next to your name change your expectations at all for the rest of the season or the rest of your career? I mean, I think I definitely kind of expected to eventually reach this point but I think reaching it so quickly has kind of allowed me to sort of like move my timeline up a little bit of where I you know thought I would be and like things I thought I could accomplish so now I think I'm going to be in a place where you know I think I will be expecting a little more out of myself coming forward through indoor and outdoor and whatever I do I knew I knew it was going to be like great however it was going to happen but I think now you know I will hopefully be surprising myself less like I did with uh, this 3k performance. Yeah, well, Robert pointed out on our podcast yesterday that you PR by 10 seconds in this race. So if you PR by 10 seconds again, then you're going to have the world record. So kind of it's hard to surpri- start surprising yourself at this point. Oh, yeah, the world record and some. <laughs> yeah, not just any world record. Like the 723,000 record, which for some reason is like the God record. I mean, it's the only one that's been staying standing for like, I don't know how many years, John, but. 
<laughs> I think it was like 96, right? Probably before Yard was born. I'm certainly before Yard was born. <laughs> so the 1500, it's a fascinating event because you need the speed to be able to kick, but increasingly with the way the event's being run in these global championships, you need the strength to be able to run 328 or 329 in a fast race if you want to get on that podium. So coming out of college, was there an area you specifically felt you needed to improve on to make that next step to contending for medals in a a championship final? I mean, I felt like I knew coming in, I didn't think there was anything specific that needed to happen. I think like just kind of bumping up everything that I've always done to like another level. Like I'm still doing the same kinds of things that I did in college. It's just I do like more of it. And I think that would definitely increase my strength to a point where I was already very like strength-based 1500 runner before, but now I can like keep up with some of the world's best, which is definitely what I'm going to need to do. But you know, also there is that like speed component that I'll still need that I think um, we're training very well for too. That's just, you know, yeah, you have to be able to run like, you know, 330 or something, but you also have to be able to close in a way in those championship races because everyone's going to be there and you know that. So you still have to have that speed part too, which I usually have. I don't really need to really train for like a kick, but, um, you know, I just got to hope that mine's the best on the day of. So what's your 800 PR right now? Oh, like 148. I only ran it once in college. Um, and it was just for fun. It was like the beginning of outdoor. We were just like, I was at some Stanford meet and it was just like, we're going to Stanford. Think of it like a vacation. Race how you want. It's not even your event. Nothing matters. Um, I still do really well, but yeah. <laughs> do you think you need to get that PR down to like 144 or 145 to be getting against the best in the world? Or are you not really as, as worried about that? And you think I can get, I'm going to be able to kick with these guys no matter what? I think I'll be able to kick with them no matter what. I don't need to like go run an 800 to really prove that. Like I might run an 800, maybe, I don't know. But (laughs) I don't have a plan for any 800 right now. So it's just more like, like I'm sure I could run that time. So I don't need to go and like do that to really prove it to myself in a sense. I think I have enough trust in like my training and how things are going to where I can kind of feel like, yeah, I'm ready to do this. And yeah, I'll have the kick that I need. Versus like kind of like going out on a race to like make sure that I do have that. Plus, eight hundreds are weird. I, I don't like the whole the whole positive splitting that everyone always does. It it was always weird to me. I never really understood that. But um, yeah. <laughs> how many miles a week? You said you're running. You're a strength based fifteen hundred meter runner. So how many miles a week were you running in college? How many miles are you up to now as a pro? Yeah. So college, I pretty much peaked out at like 80 and like cross but was kind of definitely more in the 70s for most of it um and that was just especially in track season i think i was more like 70 75 ish range um and now coming here i think i've been doing like a lot more like at least like 86 mile weeks 86 to 88 kind of like that range has been like the general standard for like with the winter training that i've been through um and it it's kind of weird because it feels it, at first it felt like a lot, but I think I kind of quickly adjusted in a way to where, sorry, um, to where I think I've been 
you know, just with like more doubles, like I've never doubled this much before. I only would do like maybe one double in college and even then not as much as I probably should have. And now I just get to do, you know, I have a team where it's like, we basically have to double all the time. And like, that's really encouraging since we're all doing it together. It's like a little, a little, definitely a lot easier. That's what I used to say when I was coaching in college, some of the kids would say, how do you run a hundred miles a week? I'm like, the difference between 170 isn't that much. It's just doubling almost every day. <laughs> you know? So like, well, I mean, you obviously made a huge breakthrough in, in one year, one calendar year. Like, what do you think the biggest reason for that? I mean, are the workouts different? Is it just simply running more or is it the fact that you're now at altitude and also you don't have school, I guess, I guess there's a number or is it all of the above? Yeah, it's definitely like a sum of everything that's been happening. Um, I feel like the altitude is definitely a, a nice, very nice addition to all of that. I think, you know, it it was very hard at first for me to like, tr- like I really felt the difference whenever I came up here and I still feel just like a lot better whenever I go back down to where I think it helps a lot with like recovery and just or being after a race, it helps with recovery, not when you're up here. It's a little hard to recover up here. But um, I'd say like that's a big part of it. The more running that I've been doing has definitely been helping. My coach always said like, you know, we got to get more mileage. And Or Carlson always said like more mileage is always going to be better. But I was always kind of like stifled in a sense to where I was always trying to run as little as possible just with how our running schedule was. It never had like a lot of time and such. So like you said, that school component was a big a big thing because I was always going to give my all for school no matter what. And so I was having like that priority first. It was always just like in a way holding me back, but I didn't really feel like I didn't really feel like it was that big of a deal. I was like, I can still be good and like do school. So I was just like, you know, but now that I get to focus my full attention on running, that is obviously going to help me just be better at that. And um, yeah, I also mentioned when we were talking at the meet, just like sleeping more and more consistently was also been a very nice addition to um, just everything we've been doing. You're a biochemistry major at Notre Dame, which is you know obviously a great academic institution. Can you walk me through what's a typical day like for you when you're at Notre Dame versus now a typical day as a professional athlete for the On Athletics Club? Oh yeah, I can do that. Um, so I'll just pick like the junior year before COVID because COVID made everything weird. But um, basically, we never really had morning practice because, you know, it's always so cold at Notre Dame anyway. It didn't really matter. Um, so I'd wake up for class around like as basically as close as I could make it. So I'd usually start class around like nine. Um, and so I'd probably be up around like 8.15, 8.30, just like the bare minimums. <laughs> I'd like grab whatever like pup tart I had lying on the corner and just like go to class right then and there. Um, I'm in class until like, depends on the day, but usually around like two or so, um, just really focusing on that. Then I get like a little off time depending on the day. And I usually have practice around like three forty, So I get like an hour and a half of kind of like break ish time where I could like go to the locker room early or something. Then I would go to practice, not get out until like, you know, 5.30 or 6 or so. We'd all go straight to dinner, have dinner, and then I'd come back and study 
and study a lot. <laughs> Depending on what was coming next, if there was an exam, I'd stay up quite late. <laughs> Probably like, I don't know, at least midnight. I feel like midnight was kind of my my like, okay, I can stop studying now. But there there were days where I would definitely stay up later. And then um, get ready for the next day and hope aim for eight hours, but it was usually like a little under. Uh, now we have practice now that it's cold, like around nine usually. So similar things if you're just running in the morning. Um, I usually wake up around like 7.30 because of when I go to bed so early, it's just easier to wake up at 7.30 now. Um, I just kind of like lounge around a little bit though. I don't really do too much for like 30 minutes. And then eventually I'll go eat like more like a, I still call it like a small snack um, because I like to eat breakfast after the run. Go run, um, do whatever I need to do, come back by like 11 or so, um, eat breakfast, do nothing, eat lunch, do nothing. <laughs> like it, it depends on the day, but you know, there's just so much free time to where it's like maybe double if there's a double that day later on the afternoon come back, do dinner after the double, and it's just like do nothing again and get to bed by like 10.30. <laughs> so it's just, you know, I get like pretty much nine hours every night and it's just a lot better that way. <laughs> and do you love those do nothing periods? Or I've talked to some athletes who are like, man, you know, if you're just running twice a day, basically, I guess, you know, you have weight sections or massages or that sort of stuff factored in as well. But some people get bored of it they're like i need something else to do or are you just like hey this is fine compared to what i was doing before i can just relax i i think it's fine i think i i i mean i, I do things but there's nothing to do is what i've always pictured in my head so it's like i might play video games i might read i might draw i might do whatever but it's just like overall there's not like a set schedule anymore so you know i might have one thing to do later on in the day for like an hour but like you know it's not it's not as strict as it was before. And it gives me a lot of time to just like, you know, nap, sit around, recover, just enjoy living, I guess. So I, I really like it. I don't think, I don't think I'll really get bored of it anytime soon. What have been the biggest adjustments training wise going from Sean Carlson to Dathan Ritzenhine uh, in terms of workouts, uh, their f general philosophies? Well, the general philosophies are pretty much the same. I think the only real difference is we do like a lot, a little more speed work here than we did at Notre Dame just because I think at Notre Dame, he didn't think that we could really like handle a lot of speed work as much with just like how our schedule worked out. Um, but the another a big difference was like long runs now are, are a lot harder than I ever really ran them. I think they're more like, you know, six flats, 620 kind of paces long runs versus like I was just kind of chilling at like 650 in college just because, you know, I never really felt the need to go that fast in the long run wasn't really supposed to be like that hard anyway. We had hard long runs, but if it was like an easy long run, which usually it was, I would just kind of like hold back. But even now, easy long runs are still like a lot faster than I ever ran them. So um, I'd say long runs are the only, the only, the only workout where I'm kind of just like, and a long run. But um, other than that, I'd say, you know, we still do like the same kind of threshold work and then like some speed work mixed in every now and then. So it, 
it all just feels very similar other than like doubles and like altitude was very hard for like the first month, just kind of getting used to that. But eventually I was able to kind of adjust and now it feels mostly normal. Yeah. I was wondering when, when you were coming out of college, like, I mean, I was kind of worried when you went back to the Olympic, you know, you, you went, you made the Olympic team, but then you went back to Notre Dame and, you know, NCAA cross country doesn't go well. You set the collegiate record in the 3000, but then you get hurt and don't run outdoors. And I was wondering, I hope this guy didn't lose a lot of money for doing something I thought was really cool, like staying in Notre Dame, trying to win a national title in, in cross country, et cetera. But did you have a lot of offers coming out of Notre Dame or what, what made, what, and was one of the reasons why you chose on because the training was similar or ex explain how that, that process went through your head? Yeah. I mean, I think last year was a very interesting year. I didn't, I didn't really feel like I was kind of ready to go pro at that time um, just with how everything like shook out at the end of the season but it or I guess yeah at the end of after like the Olympics and stuff so I, I was very just like I was I was like I was kind of being told like you know your offers aren't really going to change and they didn't really change that much from um, what they were before to what they were now despite like how my season went I think like Overall, I just expected more from that season as a whole, but just like with how things kept coming back up again and all that stuff, it was um, it was just like very it was very difficult in my mind. But like I think the company that I was looking at was like it's still like Yard, he's still the same person, and he's still gonna like be really good, um, which is really nice. So I, I was I was I was happy that all the companies were like patient and was really all ready to wait for me and stuff. Um, in the end, I, I really chose on because I really liked the the OAC. I thought that was that group was very like very just a very good group of guys that were all there to kind of like help each other get better and all just like having a good time while doing it. I felt like you know if I was going to keep running, I was always going to like want to have fun before everything else, and so I thought I would have the most fun at OAC, and so I was. That was kind of like the main determining factor um, after coming out of that because I just felt like I felt like I'd get I'd get really good no matter where I went. I felt like all the coaches had like a like kind of different but pretty similar general philosophy to what Carlson had to where I was like, I think I'll be good no matter where I go. It's just like where I think I'll be happiest. And that was with on. Did you ever think about sticking with Sean? Was that ever a possibility? That that was for a little bit. Um, he kind of talked about that with me, but I think I I, I kind of just wanted something like completely new and completely different. I think um, you know I think there's just like I think he'd be a great professional coach regardless. I'm sure he would have, like I said, with the same similar philosophy, it would have still worked out for me. But I just kind of wanted to, you know, completely change the way things are, like new scenery, new place, new coach, just like really trying something completely new. Because I feel like, you know, a lot of my life in general has just been a lot of big transitions and I really enjoy like switching to something completely different. So, um, you know, I, I felt like I needed like a big switch, you know. When we were coming up with the show notes, John put, why did he choose on? And I, I kind of cynically said, because they paid him the most money. But, you know, I, I've got a family support, John's single, but I'm, I am curious, like, are the contract offers from the various groups pretty similar or is, 
I mean, like there was definitely a little bit of a difference, but not not like really a significant one that would have changed my decision with um, like just choosing the best group for me. Like even if there was like a huge difference for like a group I had like no like no interest in, it was just be like, well, I'm not going to just try to get a bunch of money at a place where I won't be happy because then like I feel like my performance would just suffer in that case. And then, you know, you're really not making money off of like bonuses or prize money or whatever and all that. And so I, I just felt like, you know, on like on was just the place that was going to make me feel the best and run the best. And if I would run the best, eventually the money would come no matter what. So that's kind of what I was thinking of in my mind. Um, not to mention, I haven't really, most of this money is just for like saving up for dental school anyway. So it doesn't truly matter how much of it there is for me. It's just like just having enough to get over that hurdle. <laughs> and how big of a factor was it the fact that, I mean, they've got, you know, Ollie Horry's fifth in the world last year in the 1500 in terms of time. Mario Garcia Roma was fourth at Worlds. He's seventh. So you're training with two of the top 10 milers in the world on a daily basis. Oh, yeah. That was definitely a good factor coming in. I just felt, I mean, like Mario hadn't really confirmed that he was going to be on the team at that point, but we went on the visit together and I kind of like, I kind of knew that he was going to. He just seemed like really excited about it all. Um, and I think it's just like, you know, a lot of the groups I was looking at didn't have like, more than one really good miler, I guess. And I was really looking for, you know, a solid group of people that I could like always train with. And so having Ollie and Mario is just like a really, really good group of milers, probably like the best, at least group of milers altogether that I really know of anyway. And so I think that, you know, that's going to help us all like kind of chase each other to do better things. So you guys are running workouts together on the track. Who's the top dog? Who's usually coming out on top in those sessions? <laughs> I mean, I, I don't like to think of someone like coming out on top since usually we all just kind of like switch reps and kind of like, you know, do all that stuff. But there's never really been a workout where like someone kind of like pulled away. So um, I'd, I'd like to say we're pretty even. Maybe like Ollie. I think Ollie's got like a little more always and like, you know, he's the, the veteran and whatnot. But um, I do just feel like in general, we, we stick together pretty well. And do you like being, you know, a medium fish in a big pond as opposed to your training group in it at Notre Dame? Yeah, it's not like you guys had a bad group, but clearly you were the best miler in that one. You're more of a big fish in a small pond. Which sort of setup do you prefer? Yeah, definitely more of a medium fish guy myself. I think there's there's a lot of pressure that kind of comes with, you know, being the the best in like a group or a team, and and like I I was fine with it, but it it's kind of better when you know you have like a, like several people who are like right on your level or like higher i think that kind of makes you you know strive to be more cuz when you get to like being the very best in a group it's just like you know it feels it kind of feels like how much better can i get versus when i train with these guys i'm just more like oh there's always like more i could do more i could do to be getting like better and like getting to their level if that makes sense so the first race of yours that I remember watching was NCAA indoors in 2018. You run down Grant Fisher in the DMR ankle leg. And I was like, who the hell is this guy? Never heard of him. True freshman going up against one of the most hyped, you know, US prospects in distance running. And then after the race, I remember Sean Carlson coming up. He's pointing at all of you guys. He points out, he's like, this guy is a true freshman walk on. And I'm like, 
how is this possible? You know, I'm looking at all this stuff. And now I look up your PR, it says 406 for the full mile, which you ran at the very end of your senior year. But I'm kind of curious, like, was the walk-on thing true? Like, were you really getting no scholarship money when you got to Notre Dame? And how long did it take you for them to get you on scholarship? Yeah, so it, um, I was, I was technically a sophomore that year, but it was, I was, I was on paper a walk-on because, um, the way I think most schools and, or maybe just Notre Dame does it is like, you can't have both athletic and like need-based scholarship. And my need-based scholarship was way more than like any of the athletic was ever going to be. And so it was just like kind of a point of like picking need-based and then like, just kind of sticking with that for a while until um, I got good enough to where an athletic could like pay for everything. Um, and so I didn't really get a full until my senior year and fifth year. Um, yeah, yeah. But because uh, it was just like, I think it was just a big, you know, I, I really wish they could have combined them otherwise because then I would have gone to school for free all my four years. But it's just one of those things where it's just like uh, NCA or schools or whatever just stuff. But um, I, yeah, I guess I was technically yes a walk on, but I was still like you know recruited and stuff. If that makes sense. Yeah, I think they've changed the rule now because I think you can combine. Well, that sucks for me. Then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you graduate with that, Notre Dame needs to pay for you. But. Um, <laughs> I'm curious as to how you got started in the sport. I, I was reading an indie, I think it was Indy Star profile of you, I guess, right before the Olympics, but they went back and, you know, you know, your family, your your parents are from Ethiopia. You were born in Washington, D.C., though. You've got a bunch of older siblings. It doesn't sound like they were doing track and field. This article said someone spotted you and thought you were talented. And then they were trying to, the coach was trying to figure out, who, you know, where you were. Would you come out to practice? Would you be interested? And they tracked you down in some sort of science class and they said like, Hey, uh, you know, what, what extracurriculars do you do? And your answer was something like science team and bowling. So is this story true? A <laughs> and B where did he spot you to think that you would be good at running if you're on the science team and the bowling team? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that story is very much true. Um, I guess even then I, it wasn't really, literally a science team but yeah <laughs> it was just more of like you know an extracurricular based around science and i was also on the bowling team because i thought that would be good for college apps and easy um but what happened was it was i, I took pe everyone was required to take pe in um in high school and i thought well this is dumb but whatever but our grade in pe was based on these like miles that we did every like month or so and so we'd go out to like U of L and they had this like half mile loop thing. You do two laps of that and then, you know, you get graded based on how fast you ran. And so I would, in my head, I was kind of just like, well, I was kind of sort of competitive, but mostly just wanted to get an A. So I would just run as fast as possible. And the nice bonus was you could also get to the McDonald's first before everyone else, because we all went to McDonald's after the race. And then if you went first, you'd have to wait in line behind all those other kids. So that was, those were my two, my main motivation there was just, you know, got to go get McDonald's. But um, I ran like 530s or so. 
um, off of like basically off of no training at all whatsoever. I was just me sprinting or what felt like sprinting at least back then. And the PE coach told the cross country and track coach, he was just like, yo, there's this kid in my class. He's kind of fast. Doesn't seem like he does anything. You should talk to him. And so he came to me in my AP human geography class and pulled me out. It's just like, you know, I think you'd be a good fit for the track team. And I was just like, nah, I don't think so. But <laughs> eventually he, he kind of kept pressing and I was like, okay, okay, fine. I'll, I'll do it. And I quit bowling because I was kind of bad at bowling anyway. And um, didn't join the track team. So what grade was this in? That was my freshman year. Yeah, like in the winter. So I, I didn't do cross country. I didn't even know what that was. And it was, it was kind of fun just learning everything and being very surprised when cross country was not on a track. I was very confused, but yeah. So so growing up, I mean, it sounds like your family wasn't athletic. Like, did you play soccer or basketball? Base, any sports growing up before this? Yeah, I did like YMCA basketball and soccer, but I I didn't. I didn't really like it that much. I wasn't, I wasn't super into sports. Like I didn't really like watch a lot of sports or anything like that. I still don't. And so I was, it was kind of just like sports in general were just like a, like, it's just like not me. I'm just like, not, not that kind of person was definitely more the just like nerdy keep to myself type versus the like, you know, join a team and like none of my siblings were ever, well, my younger sibling was a little more like, was a lot more sporty than I was, but um, even he didn't really, he tried track a little after I joined it, but he didn't like it. So, yeah. You've said for a while that your plan was to go to college and then to go to dental school. And it seems like things changed once you turned professionally and now you're a professional runner. Like when did that plan of going to dental school change? It sounds like you're still saving up for it, but like, was there a point in your college career where like, man, I guess I have to pursue this professional running thing. Yeah, it was basically my senior year, um, kind of in the winter. I think that was kind of when I, I felt like I had to make a decision because I'd already started applying to some schools and did some interviews. And so I was kind of just like, okay, I kind of feel like I should make a choice before I truly go through with all of this. And just talking with a lot of people and like myself, it was just, it kind of came down to like, you know, I'll be able to do dental school later. So why don't I just do it later? try this running thing for a little bit and see how it goes. And um, so, yeah, I, I just withdrew the rest of my applications and just kind of went full-fledged into running, still knowing in the back of my mind that I will eventually get back to dental school. How long do you envision running professionally? I really don't envision it past the 28 Olympics. I I think maybe 29 Worlds, but like it, I just feel like when I'm 30, I'm, I'm going to be very like, okay, I need to stop. It's just like, I probably will be, hopefully will be like decent still at that age. But for me, I think 30 is the like, okay, we're done having fun running. It's time to kind of move on a little bit. At least, at least that's how I think of it. But do you enjoy the sport now? I mean, you weren't a sports guy, but when you got into it, did you, did you like sort of learn to love running? Yeah, I, I learned to love, running and like you know my team and all that stuff but running as a whole like the whole institution didn't really interest me like i didn't really care about what other people were doing or like any of the other events or whatnot it was just like well, whatever was happening in my state in high school and so i i, I think now i'm starting to respect more of the 
the every the track as a whole and like running as a whole, I think is is becoming slightly more interesting to me as I finally learn some names of people that I did not know and still don't know. But you know, I'm, I'll I'll get there. All right. How about some track and field trivia? There's a guy. He's one year younger than you, I think. Maybe I'm wrong, John. Is it two years? Old? He's like you. He's a strength based. Uh, 1500 meter guy. He's he's run 727. You run 728. His 800 PB is not very good. It's only like 146. His name's Jakob Ingebrigtsen. So (laughs) (laughs) I like how you phrased that. I was like, who's run 727? (laughs) So you're not that far off. But I mean, like, um, like obviously, at some level, like you guys are, are kind of similar. Like, do you think? Do you dream of winning like Olympic gold and stuff like that? Like what, what motivates you? Yeah, for sure. I think those are definitely, definitely goals I have in my mind. I think it was, it, I think it, it never, I never really had those goals before, but now that I've kind of at this pro level, I'm going to be put in these situations where I'll, you know, like hopefully be going to the Olympics and worlds again. It's just like, in my mind, like the goal has to be like winning you know, if that makes sense. it. I think there's a lot of other like smaller goals you can build up to. But, you know, for me at my level and where I feel like I am, I think, you know, no matter what kind of competition I go to, I kind of come in thinking I can win this, like no matter what. So um, I think, yeah, definitely I want to be able to like win gold at the Olympics one of these days, either this one or the next. So we'll see how that pans out though. <laughs> That's a goal that's going to be shared by your training partners, though. I'm sure Ollie and Mario both have that ultimate same goal. Like, does that ever come up? Is there ever any sort of spoken or unspoken tension, or is it just like, ah, we won't worry about this until maybe August of 2024? Yeah, I don't think there's any tension about it at all. I think we're all just like very, we all realize, you know, in our head, that's just like, yeah, we're going to get to a point where we're going to be racing each other for that. But I think we all know, like, we're at the end of that race, no matter how it pans out, we're still going to be like really good friends no matter what. But, you know, in the race, you know, we're still all competitors. And I think we all realize that. And so we're all going to be, you know, fighting to win no matter what. But um, I think even that just shows like how, our, how good of a relationship that we're going to have is just like, you know, being able to go through a race, have them just be your competitor and then coming out and still being like, you know, really good friends. So, so I wanted to talk about last season. Uh, you run the collegiate record indoors in the 3000, then you're not a hundred percent. You kind of banged up for instability indoors outdoors. You have to, you get injured. You have to skip NCAAs, but then right before USA's you run 334 in Portland. And I think after that, a lot of people, you know, you throw the arms up, you're really pumped with that result. And after that, I think a lot of people are like, Oh man, he's, he's back. He's ready to make the team. USA's doesn't go great. You only finish 11th, but then a very successful end of the season. You win in Memphis, a Milo, a couple wins in Europe in Lucerne and Padua. I'm curious what happened at USA's. Was it just you didn't have the strength under you, or what do you think went wrong in that race? I think there was just a lack of strength and like a gap in my training that a really inopportune time that kind of led to that. So um, I had raced some one of the sound running things. And I had like kind of got a little like hamstring strain during that race. And so I, I was still able to finish and I was like mostly fine. It wasn't as bad as it was as like my quad was at the Olympics, but 
it was still just kind of another thing that kind of gave me like a similar vibe to where I was kind of like getting a little nervous about it. And we took like a lot of, a lot more downtime than I probably might have should have during that for that. And so it, you know, coming back, I think I was really able to do well, like one race at a time. So like I did well at like Portland, I did really well in my prelim, but you know, the way the final panned out being one of those races where it's like a strong kick at the end, I think I needed a lot more strength than I had at the time. And that break in training I had from that injury kind of prevented me from really, you know, being able to really give that race everything that I should have had. And so kind of stepping away from that, being able to train up again um, for like a solid block really kind of brought that strength back and as well allowed me, I think, to succeed for like the rest of the summer during those races I did. And so, yeah, I think that was just more like a gap in training kind of scenario. But, you know, it happens. But yeah. Well, looking ahead for more immediate goals, like you just run the American record. I think you're running Milrose in the mile, right? Yes, and, yes, I am. A week or two. I mean, do we have a game plan? Can we get an early game plan? A bunch of your teammates are in it. Are, are you, is there going to be a rabbit? Is the goal to run fast? Is it just to compete? And then what about what, what, what's going to happen after that? I think you're going. Yeah, so we're, we're definitely going to have a rabbit. Um, I think we're kind of pacing it towards like 348 or something. So I think the goal, I think the definite goal is like, you know, get under the American record. And I think um, that is a very, I felt like that was definitely more likely than getting the 3K record. And I somehow came away with that. So I'm I'm feeling relatively confident in my abilities as long as like, I don't get like caught up or like, you know, some racing, whatever happens, then I think that is a very reasonable goal and that can happen. I just have to make sure I'm in the right place where I need to be and I'm able to execute that. Um, after that, I'm going to Madrid with Mario for the Madrid Indoor World Tour thing. Um, and so that, I think we're running the 1500 there. And um, I think that's just another race where it's just like kind of competing more than anything. Um, I don't really know any indoor 1500 records since I'm not European, but I think, you know, just whatever. I think that's more of a like kind of whatever it takes to win kind of race, but we'll probably still end up being quite fast and rabid. In, so, yeah. Cole Hawker is also in the Wanamaker Mile at Milrose, and you've got some history with him. He battled back in 2021, both made the Olympic team together. What kind of relationship do you have with Cole? I think I think we have like a a good relationship. I, I think we've, we've kind of hung out every now and then just like talk to each other in a way to where I, at least I feel like we're very similar and that um, in just a lot of respects and how we regard running and just our general personalities just felt kind of similar whenever we talked. And so I think, you know, I definitely see him as like, um, definitely like probably my top American rival, rival, I don't, I don't like the term rival, but it, I think it's like, you know, he's definitely some of the best America has to offer. And so, you know, whenever I come blind with him, that's kind of like, you know, me racing like the best of America. And that's kind of how I feel like is gonna is gonna play out. I think he's gonna come in really strong in that race. And so yeah, I think it's just gonna be ready for that. And you know, he's he's in my opinion has one of the strongest kicks that I've ever met because I feel like I've rarely, rarely, really, rarely been like kick kicked down like that. And so um I think I I respect that completely and I'm always excited to race him whenever I can. So we've seen some fast times the last couple of years. Grant Fisher broke a bunch of American records last season. Woody Kincaid, right after you ran the 3K record, he breaks the 5K record indoors. And obviously, the shoe technology 
that has developed over the last few years is helping spur on those times. When did you first start training in a super shoe or racing in a super shoe? Um, I raced after COVID. That was when I, I think we got, we were allowed to start racing in the uh, dragonflies. But yeah, yeah. Whenever like that first cross country season after COVID, I think that was that was when we started. Mm-hmm. And did you notice a big difference between that spike and I, I guess before you were just in a normal Under Armour spike, right? Notre Dame. Like, was there a big difference? Yeah, yeah. There definitely was. I, I felt like. You know, I came off races like a lot less sore than I ever was. I think, you know, running an underarm, I'd run a race and like my legs would just be like shot. But like now I kind of run a race and or after um after I started running dragonflies, I'd run a race. And it's just like I feel like I was ready to like take on another one. So I think that was really good for like rounds and prelims and stuff. Um, but I think it also just felt like kind of a little a little like lighter also just um, generally felt like better on my feet and like felt faster yeah how much does it impact practice if at all for you like are you wearing spikes in workouts do you think it allows you to run either more reps or to train harder and recover a little bit easier in practice or do you just not use the spikes as much in practice we you use the spikes a little bit um depending on like how fast a rep is going to be or whatever there's um definitely times where you know we whip them out just so just so that we can feel more like comfortable running like a really fast pace that we want to run and get like work in that. I think um, I didn't really do that in college at all, but now it's 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 um, definitely more common for us to be like you know switching to spikes for like the last half of like some interval workout thing so that we can really get in those intervals and feel like you know pretty decent doing them. And last thing I wanted to ask was about. The NCAA records. You used you had the fifteen hundred in twenty twenty one, and then you broke the three k last year. And neither of those records lasted very long. The fifteen hundred was broken by Elliot Kipsang last year, and Drew Bosley broke the three k one, the same race where you broke the American record. So, were you sad to see them go? How did it feel to see those records broken after a year? No, it, I think I was very, very okay with it. I'm not. I think records are meant to be broken. And I'm just more impressed to see like people running that fast. I think it just shows that track is growing and it's always how it's going to be. If I had a record, like if I had the collegiate record for like 20 years, I'd be like, what the heck is everyone doing? Like they should be like running fast by now. Um, and so I think it is just like, you know, those records that weren't, weren't like really that important to me. It was just like, you know, you run fast and everyone you know, is like, oh, you ran the fastest ever. But it's just like, well, there's still a lot more to come, so it's just more exciting to see someone else do it again. Is there a curse with the 1,500-mile record? Because pretty much everyone who's run that, I don't think they actually ended up winning NCAAs that year. You know, Elliot got beat in 2022. You were beaten by Hawker in 2021, or is that just something that us media types like to invent as a storyline? <laughs> I think if it happened one more time, I'd be convinced it was a curse. <laughs> but I think I, I, I just, I don't know. I think it's just a just a fun little coincidence. Well, one last question about the shoes. I mean, Dathan Richtheim said he th- thought they were the best shoes in the market, and then I'm sure that that uh, was new. Jordan Donnelly, friend of the podcast, who I think helps design the shoes or did design the shoes. I'm sure love to see that, but. Someone pointed out on the forum that these shoes aren't actually on the market. We can't buy them. Not that me as a 
40 plus year old would be racing in them. But um, do you, I mean, do you, do you agree with Ritz? Like they're just as good as what you were racing in before? I do. And I do think they're even better. And it's not just me saying it because I'm unsponsored now. It's just like the Dragonfly felt very light and like fine and good. And, but the Cloud Spike kind of has just more of a bite to it. I feel like that really, that makes me feel like kind of like at that next level. And it's not like a huge difference, but it's enough to where, you know, I feel like I'm definitely getting like at the best spike possible, if that makes sense. Well, that'll be good. It'll be like a match weight now between you and Ingebrigtsen because he's got you by one second, but your <laughs> spike's a little bit better, so it, it should be like exciting dead heat. Oh, yeah, no. I'm excited to race him one day, one of these days. <laughs> I know we got to get you out of here soon. John, I was thinking of one thing when you guys were talking about dental school and retirement. Retirement at 30, 31. Um, you got to get you got to get Brian Sell's number from from your coach, Jathan Ritzenheim. He made the Olympic team in the marathon with Ritz in 2008. And he retired in 2009, and he was 31. So <laughs> um, you don't, don't, don't need to move up to the marathon, though. I think that'd be a little bit far for you. No, I think I'm, I'm probably never going to do a marathon, and we'll take pride in that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, Yard, we really appreciate you making time to join us this week. It was a pleasure chatting with you. Congratulations again on the American record, and we can't wait to see what you have to do at Milrose. So uh, good luck there as well. Thank you guys so much. Yeah. Oh, yeah. One last question. Do you think eventually you might start racing the 5,000 at a championship level? Because, you know, I think John and I both had the same thought this summer when we watched Ingebrigtsen. And we were like, he's strong enough that nobody can drop him. Then it turns it turns into basically a 1,500 for him. And he's almost unbeatable. Like, have you thought about racing that event in the future? I think I, think I will coming, like, but not anytime soon. I think that is several several years in the future because i don't i don't really relish or like the 5k that much so i think i will try my best to get out of it until i'm like quite older <laughs> fair enough my, my least favorite event when i was running i hated it so hard it's so hard from the get-go <laughs> all right take care good luck hopefully you get another american record next week yeah fingers crossed <laughs> Guys and gals, we're not even halfway done because our talk with Woody Kincaid was a little bit longer. We talked about the record, him leaving the Bowerman Track Club, Shelby Houlihan, a lot more. It's up next. But remember, if you like this content, you'll love the Supporters Club. Join today, let'srun.com slash subscribe. Use code BIRTHDAY to save 25% and give Jonathan Galt 100% of the sign-up proceeds. We are very pleased to be joined by our second American record holder of the episode, Woody Kincaid. Woody was a footlocker finalist at Columbine High School in Colorado back in 2010. As a collegian, he finished fifth in the NCAA 5000 final while at the University of Portland in 2015. But he's best known for his exploits as a professional. He turned pro in 2016 and joined the Bowerman Track Club, where he won the 2021 Olympic Trials 10,000 meters also made the Olympic team in the 5,000, where he finished 14th and 15th in those two events in Tokyo. Last year, he made the US team at 5,000 meters, but failed to advance to the final after falling in his prelim at the World Championships. After last year, Woody stepped away from the Bowman Track Club, and since January 6th, he's been training with Mike Smith in Flagstaff, Arizona. 
Most recently, of course, Woody ran 12.51.61 at the Boston University Terrier Classic on Friday to break the American indoor record at 5,000 meters. And on Saturday, he'll be back in Boston running the 3,000 meters at the New Balance Indoor Grand Prix at the track. So Woody, first of all, welcome to the show and congratulations. How does it feel a few days after the fact to be an American record holder? Feels really, really good. Um, I mean, the workout today was <laughs> flat to say the least, but um, emotionally it's just been, I've been uh, buzzing for a few days. Yeah, how do the quads, hamstrings, calves, all those muscles you need to run fast, how did those feel after 12.51? I mean, for the first few days, I, I don't feel like I felt anything. I was just like, I was just kind of running on a, a high, I guess. But today we actually had to do a workout and I realized like, okay, I'm I'm kind of beat up from this race. Um, but nothing's, nothing's banged up. I just, I think that things are just, you need one of those little kind of um, spin the wheels situations that are ready to go. When we spoke after your race on Friday, you said you'd either be running Milrose next weekend or the 10 on March 4th for your next race. And then suddenly, announcement, you're actually going to be running this Saturday in Boston in the 3K. What changed? Well, I was always thinking about running the two 3Ks, but then this 5K lineup came out and I talked to Mike. We decided last, the week before, um, after a workout, I was like, this is a good lineup in the 5K and I think I think we're ready. So I went out and we did the five and we're going to keep, and since we're like, Hey, this is great fitness. Let's just keep going. A good decision on that one. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So did you, I guess like you said you had a 6am flight back to Flagstaff. Did you get on that flight and you're now there for a few days and then you're flying back to Boston? What's your travel itinerary look like here? <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, right now the plan is to go to Boston on Thursday, and I'm trying to decide if I want to stay there or not. I have not decided yet. So um, I, maybe I do because it'd just be easier, but I, I want to kind of be at altitude for longer. So it really comes down to a talk between me and Mike after the race. Okay, so you might do Milrose also? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. No, the plan is still to do Milrose, kind of keep this fitness rolling. But, I, you know, it's a lot to, it's a lot to ask, but it's, uh, that's the plan right now. Well, that's interesting because that would be three race weekends in a row. Did you yeah. did you ever race three weekends in a row under Jerry? No, no, I did not. Um, but that that's part of the reason why why I'm here, man. Because I I want to I want to race, and I I have the fitness to do it. So let's see what we can do. Yeah, what do you think you can do in this three K on, on Saturday? Because some people will say like, oh man, he just ran twelve fifty one, like. He should go, you know, strike while the iron's hot, try to go after that American record. But like 728, no joke of a time. Like, what do you want to accomplish in, on Saturday's race in Saturday's race? Well, I the pace is, I think, from what I heard today, it was like 30 seconds a lap. And um, I think I'm just gonna go in, I'm gonna compete, I'm gonna stay on the pace. And if the American record happens, that'd be fantastic. Um, but you know, I'm gonna try to go and win. That's that's what I'm going thinking about doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 30 seconds a lap. Like, then take basic math. You know, that comes to 730 with your yes. kick. I, yeah. I, think you, I think you get under the 728. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I'm not counting it out. I think it's, you know, it's possible. Um, but uh, that's hard to do. You don't just show up and do the American record. Um, you got to feel good too, you know. Let's rewind a bit to, to this 5K. 
sounds like that sort of came up last second. Like, kind of talk a little bit how that came about and also going in, what were your expectations? What were you hoping to run? Was it the American record? I, I don't know. Well, the, the race was paced. Um, I, I was texting Joe on, on Instagram or DMing and um, Joe Klecker and uh, he saw me sign up for the race on Friday after I did the workout with uh, Mike Smith and um, Louise. And uh, he's like, we're looking to go fast. And so I was like, that sounds great. Did, did you want me to do work? And uh, he didn't respond to that. And so I think the general idea was we were going to run around 13 low or 13 flat, something along those lines. But I think I kind of got the vibe from on, um, especially after the Goose's race, first of all, and they ran so well, seeing that the Goose is in shape. I got the vibe from on that they wanted to do something special that day. And I was like, okay, I'm along for the ride. This is exactly what I want in the situation, you know, I don't really know what kind of shape I'm in per se, cause I haven't raced since September, but, um, I knew I was in decent shape clearly. And, um, when I kind of got this feeling that they were going to go after something, I was like, all right, I know where, where I need to be. That's, yeah, that's the gist of it. And we were having this discussion before we started recording 1251, 750, sorry. Yeah. 1251, 728, both American records. Which do you think is the more impressive performance? Nagus uh, uh, or mine? Yeah. Uh, I think probably the 3K. I think that's um, something that's, that's ran very often indoors. Um, I, I don't want to give myself too much credit, but I, I do think it's close. I have to give it maybe an inch to 3K because it's ran more. Um, but that 5k is tough to break because it's because it's so hard to to get in the fast 5k like that yeah i I see it very similarly to you actually that's yeah what i would have said i think the other thing is yard the last 1200 he was pretty much on his own having to do that and you you know it's not like it's easy what you did the last kilometer but you did have joe to sort of chase down a little bit but obviously yeah it is close i I'd agree with you on that. I, I give I give Joe a lot of credit here, man. Like he he was he's a bull out there. This guy's like I, the way I describe Joe's running is he's just like a bull, and uh, when you let the bull out of, of I guess they're only come out of the gates. He's just he'll just keep going. He's like a metronome out there. Um, so yeah, I'll give it to Nagus because he did do it on his own. I give it to Nagus. Interesting, because yeah, beforehand you said, oh, I think the one that you know has run more often. Gets the yeah. Credit before. yeah, yeah, it's big arguments, but I, but the way that the race was ran, I think John L. Jonathan made a, a good point that his way was probably more difficult because he went and did it on his own. Um, yeah, but your race was cooler. I mean, if anyone needs to watch one of the races, they should watch your race. No doubt. Before the podcast started, I was thinking, oh, the five k is more often common than the three k, but it's not indoors. So great running all around is all I can say. Yeah. Twelve fifty one, obviously an exceptional, exceptional time, and you've always been known as someone who had a great kick. But what sort of seemed to hold you back from taking that next step and contending for the medals in the biggest races was being strong enough to put yourself in position to kick, use that kick at the end of the race. Do you think that's a fair assessment? And does Friday's race change how you view yourself in terms of your ability to? in that position where you're kicking for the you know for the win or for a medal at a world or olympic final 
Well, I think at, at some level, any athlete has to believe that despite all this, this past information, that they can be in a position to medal. And I really do. I look at Tokyo and I think, wow, it was, it was really, really hot. And I, I was in super good shape, but I, I think the heat got to me. Perhaps it was the whole COVID situation and just the fact that I was at my first world championships, right? Um, so I thought I was in shape in 1250 something shape at that time too. I was, I was in shape with Grant and he, he outperformed me in Tokyo, no doubt. Um, but then you look at the, the next year and I, I fall in the, I drop out of the 10 K, um, at USA's and I fall in the prelim of the 5 K. Um, I was in shape then too. I was in really, I felt like I don't, this isn't the first time I feel like I've ever been in, in 1251 shape. Um, I think there are, I've left some fitness on the board. Um, and I want to show that now, but do I think that I can meddle? Yeah, I, I do think that I've, the chances have been there before and, um, it just hasn't come together yet. And I, I think any athlete out there that is ever going to medal has to still think that they could have and still can. So yes. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't believe it, it, it's not happening. Yeah. And I do. I really do. <laughs> I now I can't promise you that I will always be able to hang on, but I know that my kick, if I'm even anywhere close in that last lap, I will run whatever I have to, to get up there. If you remember the 5k at the Olympic trials after running the 10k, I was not in the best position. I gave Grant a good position. Um, and I was not in the best position in the last lab. And I ran a 51-7 in lane three. Now, is that that's that's a mental engagement, man. Like it doesn't matter where I am. If I think I can win the race, I will go as fast as I can to do it. Now I have to be connected even close to do it, though. I really do. And I'm getting there and I think I'm I'm in fitness to do it. Who knows what I would have done had I made that final last year? It's you can always just speculate it, but I was in good shape then too. Do you think, though we were having this discussion on our regular podcast yesterday, Ingebrigtsen is a guy who really likes to make it hurt, not just... He, he doesn't have like an amazing, amazing last lap in terms of like raw speed, but he will just ratchet the pace up those last couple laps and essentially break everyone, and then he's running 53 or 54 to win. Yeah. Like, do you think... Is that something you're, you're like, hey, I can handle that? Or is like, that seems like something that would be difficult for you to manage you know i agree i agree i think ingerbritson's way of running 55 and then 55 um is tough for anybody right um but i'm not going to go into the race thinking i hope he doesn't run 55 55 um i'm going to think like i'm going to stay engaged as long as i can and if i'm close enough i'm going to take off any scalp that i can in that last lap ingerbritson smashed everybody in that 5k by the way it was a race for second so um I'm not saying I would have beaten Ingerbritsen in that race, but you know, who knows? I, I could have gone some scalps if I were there in the last lap. Sure. Yeah. I mean, the, the standard holding anyone to a standard of, oh, wait, here's Jakob Ingerbritsen would have broken you, beaten you in a race. Like, that's not really a fair standard to hold anyone to. <laughs> the guy's <laughs> yeah. amazing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's interesting. One of the first things you said, I think, after, well, the first thing you said to me, I can remember after you broke that record was, you know, I, I want to be a star. Like, how does that happen? I guess, like, why'd you say that? What, what does that mean to you being a star? This cat's, uh, <laughs> this cat's uh, on my window. Um, 
what does it mean to be a star? I mean, I've, I think that, um, you know, I've seen people on my team be stars and I like everybody on my team, but I'm out there training with them every day too. And I, I'd be lying if I didn't say I want to be a star too. You know, I, I, I sign up and I do this training, I do this hard work. And, um, I, I think that there are a lot more opportunities when you have a bigger name in the sport and the more opportunities, the you know, the more I get to do it. I think that um, pursuing uh, stardom for the sake of stardom isn't the right way to do it. But I think having more opportunities with a bigger name is something that I, I definitely want. So who do you consider the biggest stars right now in American distance running? And like, what do you, how do you think they got there? The biggest star in distance running? Like, I mean, well, Amer like American distance running. If you had to say like, hey, here are the three or four biggest names, biggest stars. Like who would you, who would be on your list? Um, I mean, are we going to talk about who like the golden ch children are on like who people love to talk about or who I personally think uh, is my favorite runner? Well, I would say Both. more the more the first, but we'll get we can get to the second. But I guess when you say like, oh, I want to be a star, like who who are you envisioning? Are you thinking of someone like that? Gen generally speaking, I think people have an affinity for certain athletes. I don't know, I don't really know what the secret to method is, but let's let's point to some some big names uh, from people who aren't necessarily medalists. Um, uh, Caitlin Tui, uh, Nico Young. Um, People still, you know, talking about Cooper Tier, um, and then we can talk about the elite people that people love to talk about, like uh, Grant Fisher and um, Emily Sism. Um, like these are just these these are people who are big stars, but they they deserve it, and they're people who are not necessarily on the global scene, but they get a lot of attention. So I, I don't really, I guess, I don't know if this answers your question, but. Um, it does seem like some people get more attention than others. Well, that that's undoubtable. But I, I think the thing that interests me, Tui and Nico, just running fans in general love high school stars. Those two were big in high school. They're breaking records. Like, look at Alan Webb. People were obsessed with Alan Webb for the entire 2000s. It's because he was a high school prodigy. So I think inherently, if you have these historic achievements in high school you're just going to be a big deal for yeah. a long time in your career like look even jordan to say mary kane people were fascinated with them even when they were struggling as professionals because they were big in high school yeah i totally agree i I've, I've said that before like if you make it in high school you have a career and running um yeah i guess that's it maybe that's the secret ingredient because i wasn't a, a name in high school even though i was 11 yeah people love the phenoms right like the yeah. next great thing in all sports, right? Like they do, yeah. You know, the Super Bowl is not even over, and they'll be start talking about next year's Super Bowl. It's true. And let's run, people. Oh, this person's great, an Olympic champion. Should they move up in distance? And it's like, <laughs> can't we appreciate <laughs> this? Like, uh, yeah, I was I was on uh, vacation, mind you, with uh, Sensowitz and, and uh, Grant Fisher. We went to Europe this summer, and they were they were tired of talking. We we were sitting down with a group of girls and. Uh, they were they were sitting down with a group of girls and they were talking about how um Central was tired of talking about being a gold medalist. So he just said he was <laughs> the the uh New York second place in the New York marathon or something, just to just to change the subject. And um people were like they Googled 
who he was later. And they're like, you're not the second in the Olympic in the marathon. You want a gold medal. And it's like, sorry, sorry. Yes. <laughs> they were mad that, it, that he wasn't, that he was just a gold medalist. You know, it's like, okay. Wow. See, I always had this idea that if I ever won an Olympic gold medal, I would never get tired of talking about it, but I guess it only took Centro six years. That's kind of surprising. <laughs> yeah. Well, he can talk about anything. So it's like, right. I thought he would talk about, I thought he'd love talking about it, but it is interesting. Well, the, yeah, the other thing, after he won the gold, I remember hearing Malcolm Gladwell saying on a podcast, like, he should move up to the 5K. I mean, look at that kick he's got. He'd be unbeatable in the 5K. I'm like, the dude just, he literally just won the Olympics in the 1500. Am <laughs> I still talking about him moving up to the 5K? Oh, it's just found- <laughs> yeah, it's true, man. I, I, I'm telling you, if you go run a four-minute mile um, uphill, it's like it could they'll say the wind was at your back i swear <laughs> that's that's how it goes it's even interesting and in, you know you're talking about stars and stuff you didn't mention centro for whatever reason and like the last year or so a couple years you know kind of injured and it's not like people have forgotten about him but there hasn't been a lot of buzz about him it's more like oh what's he up to and that sort of stuff so it's even obviously he's very popular and there's still a tremendous cachet around him but you know, you can kind of ebb and flow in this sort of stardom within the sport or even buzz on let's run or wh- whatever it is. All right. Well, let, let me be honest. The, it, this is a sport of amnesia. It's, it's very much like, what have you done lately? And, um, I ran 1251 last week and, and next week Bowerman could go and run 1250 or, um, someone could, and, and it will be old news. It is very much like a, a what have you done lately kind of sport. And people are always looking towards, um, yeah, the next phenom or what, 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 what can they do now? Uh, part of the reason why I have buzz is because people now, at least a lot of people believe that I, I have a real medal threat. Um, but if I don't get the medal this year, they're not going to be saying that, you know? Yeah. Well, we can talk about Bowerman. I'm sure we'll talk a lot about Bowerman here. But before that, you made it sound like you might have a favorite American runner or. What were you hinting at there? No, no, no. I don't. I don't really have a f- favorite American runner. I guess I. I generally just lean to people that I, I like running with. You know, I like. I guess my favorite is Grant Fisher. You know. I guess growing up, what was your connection to the sport? Were there any runners you looked looked up to or followed? Like how how close did you follow it? Did you dream of the Olympics? No. What sports did you play? Kind of how did you get to the Woody Kincaid high school running star? Well, um, no, I, I wasn't, no, I was not one of the people who like was really involved in running as a kid. I wasn't like dreaming of the Olympics in any way. Um, I, I liked skateboard. I worked at team supers. Um, I played Gaelic football with, with, um, which is kind of, which is the national sport of Ireland, <laughs> coincidentally. Um, and I played soccer. So like, I was kind of doing a lot of things. I was, I'm always interested in doing different stuff. And when I found running, when I was uh, a junior in high school, I was really good at it right away. And I really liked to just go for runs and, uh, hang out, you know, with something to do after school. Um, so no, I was never like one of these people who was like, I'm going to be an Olympian one day. But as, as things developed, as I like, you know, going to college, running becomes part of your life. Um, when, especially at a school like University of Portland, where a lot of people go to UP, uh, just to run, 
You know, they'd go to run for Rob Connor because he'll take anybody. And so I was really, that was the first time in my life where I was really immersed in like running is the world to us. And it became um, slowly just kind of what, what it was my world too. You know, like that's how I became really involved in running is, is through collegiate running and being on a team that really was passionate about running. Um, and it slowly became something that I was very passionate about too. Why did you play Gaelic football? I didn't know. I feel like I've never heard of anyone in the United States playing that. Did you have enough teams to play like in a league? Like, how did this come about? <laughs> There's only four teams in the United States, but we were national champions. So, looking up. Denver Congratulations. Gales. Wait, what year? Uh, that's a great question. I want to say 2004 or something like that. Um, Denver Gales. I was 12 years old at that time. And what position did you play? Uh, it's a shit. <laughs> I want to say left back. I was defender. I want to say left back. Okay, you could have fooled me with anything. I don't. I li- know literally no positions. Right. Well, that's football. the reason why I didn't say it because I actually don't remember the name of the position I played at the top of my head. And it's gonna, there's going to be an Irish person out there just like this guy did not play Gaelic football. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, I did. I swear. I know. Wait. So you started running your junior year of high school, and you made you were eleven the Foot Walkers as a senior. Technically, my sophomore year, but I did not go to practice probably three days of the week because either one, I was going to um, uh, work, I had work a lot, or two, I just was Latin. like it was just wasn't something that I was super motivated to do. Um, but then my sophomore summer, I got really um, invested in, in running. Yeah. And do you have a Premier League team? No, I don't follow Premier League team. Why? Okay. Why? Because, well, John and I both follow two obscure teams. If you're going to pick between Brighton or Crystal Palace, which one would you choose? Excuse me, obscure. Uh, one of those teams is currently sixth in the Premier League, just for the record. You guys need to ask uh, Grant Fisher this because he's a huge Spurs fan. He okay. wins the Spurs. So um, I'll take Brighton. Why not? Yeah, you will. <laughs> Hop it on the bandwagon at all time high, baby. Here we go. <laughs> I liked it, I liked it when uh, Swansea was in the in the league. They were oh, really Swansea. Yeah, yeah, we beat well, them 4-1 that first season. They got relegated. But... Why'd you like Swansea? They were Welsh. The Jacks, right? Kind of cool. They were just the Swans, I the think. Swans. Swans, yeah. I don't know. So when you're, when you're a Bowman, you know, we've talked about Grant and Matthew Centrowitz, who got Evan Jager, a lot of top American talents on that team. And you, you made it to the Olympics. It's not like you're a scrub, but did you feel overshadowed when you were at Bowman? I think slowly but surely I did. I think um, I I loved being on Bowerman, but it did slowly start to creep into my psyche that like I'm kind of being uh, the sideshow here, and um, especially with Grant being a lot younger than me and immediately rising to this level of international competition, I was like, well, I don't have a lot of time to do this. I want to rise to that level too. And I think it's possible on Bowerman, certainly, no doubt, the most dominant team in the United States, perhaps in uh, most of the world. But um, I think I'll have more opportunities outside of Bowerman because I'll have more control over where I race, uh, my training, and, and things like that. Well, one of the things Jerry's known for is the workouts are very hard. And a lot of the time, it's essentially, hey, here's the workout for everyone. And if you can keep up, great. And if you can't finish, you know, it's kind of tough. Like, 
do you think that's is that your experience and also like when you're working out with grant and mo i mean mo has a medal at multiple championships grants run 1246 are you getting spit out the back on some of those workouts and how does that feel yeah well i was getting spit out on the back because these workouts are so um so difficult jerry's known for is this is the workout and them being notoriously hard right and uh, it's like, this is what we're doing. Everybody, like, this is what it takes. Jerry Jerry, Jerry truly believes, like, you have to run this split. He has a lot of faith in his, his training, as he should. You have to run this split if you want to be a meddler, right? And so I ended up being, in a lot of situations, running as far as I could in a split or changing um, how far I would go in the middle of a workout so that I could finish the workout. Um, these things that I had to kind of learn on my own. And, and Jerry, to his credit, like learned to kind of respect how I went about the workout. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think that they, their workouts sometimes were outside of my fitness level. I, maybe I would come in, uh, with five days off or something and they would be ready to roll. The workout wasn't changed for that, you know, and I had to kind of do, um, what I thought was right that day. So. It's going to be nice, even work with Mike with three weeks or something, you know, I, I, he will adjust the workout and make me, um, see that I'm, I'm making progress. Yeah. I guess like the way Jerry operates, like, were you, were you cool with that? Like, okay, I can understand you understand his reasoning. Like you got to run this split. And if I can't do it, I can't do it. Or were you kind of like, man, I wish it was a little more tailored towards me. No, no, no. I think, I truly think when you are 23, um, and um, you do have to just send it, man. There's a point. Part of the reason why I really liked Jerry coming out of college, um, and still like Jerry, is he. We had a conversation walking around Nike, and he said, "You're 23. Like now's the time to see how far you can take it. Like I'm not. I'm going to coach. It's going to take you as far to. I'm going to show people how far they can take themselves. And that was what I wanted. And and the same the same. And it's what I want now. It's the same reason why I'm leaving Bowerman because I, I still want to see how far I can take it. And sending it in these workouts, I think I, I still want to do, but I want it to be um, sent in a way where I, I'm still progressing. You know, I'm not just hanging. I, these workouts are for me or, or it's closer to where, where I'm at. That's how I feel. Yeah, when you say you were a sideshow within Bowerman, do you mean you're sort of like the workouts weren't designed for you or just overlooked in general? Well, I, I think that sounds a little um, petty. I don't think sideshow is the right thing because I, I definitely always felt like I was part of the team. But, on, but when it came to racing and when it came to, um, I guess, publicity and just chances... You know, Grant Fisher is getting um, more chances to race in the Diamond League and Mo is getting more chances to race in the Diamond League. And I've always felt like I can be there if I just get that chance. Um, and so I, I felt like I need to get put myself in a situation where I can prove that. Yeah, but I guess the argument people, you haven't run as fast as them, the Diamond League doesn't want you, right? Like, Yeah. But right. then I think that's where you come back to the workouts, right? Like, not... Not every runner can just max out every workout. So if that's too much for you, 
I think it does hurt your development as a runner. If it's the workouts designed for Grant and Mo on that day and you can't do it, you're adapting on the fly. I think one, you still may be able to beat them in a race, but it's going to hurt your development. Is do you, Did you find that to be the case? Is that what you're finding now working with a different coach? Well, it's too early to tell. For sure, first of all, I've only been four weeks, but I, I've liked it so far. But um, I think when you're really young, you should see how far. Like you just, I, I'm really glad I would push myself and send it in those workouts. Um, but as I, you know, I'm 30 and you know, some of these speed workouts might not be the smartest thing for me to do. Um, but I know myself well enough that when I see uh, someone really fast coming up on me, I'm going to dig a little deeper and try and try and do it. And sometimes that's not the best thing to do as you get older. Um, so I don't really think my development was hurt, but I do think my future could have been had, had I stayed in this situation. One of the comments that you made in our interview on Friday after the race that got a lot of buzz on the Let's Run message boards was, I'll just read out the quote. It's, Jerry told me, I think you're throwing away your career by leaving. He didn't want me to leave. And I said, hey, I can do this. And I think it's what I have to do. And I'm glad I did. And, you know, some people on the message boards, and there's been a lot of different interpretations of this. So I, I'd like to get some more context on that quote. Was he saying this in a way you know, you're nothing without me. I'm my way of the highway type way, or is it more a I care about you? I don't you want you to make this mistake kind of way. How did how is this conversation? Can you give some context to it? Thank God you asked because it's it. I said it's just kind of an off comment in the in the interview, and I didn't say it like I was mad at him. So um, I think when Jerry Jerry did say that, but what what he meant when I told him I was leaving Bowerman, I didn't have a team. You have to look at it like I didn't have a plan going forward. And Jerry was like, you can't just leave without a plan. Like you're, this is not good. This is not a good idea. And he wasn't alone in thinking that. I think Jerry was genuinely concerned. And he's like, you're just being stubborn. Like, don't, don't do this, you know? Um, and to some degree, he was very, he was right. I was being very stubborn. Um, but uh, he wasn't alone in thinking that, you know, the nicest person in the world, Evan, Evan Jager was like, this is where you're going to be your best. You need to stay on environment. Like my own mom was very conflicted on the situation. I tried to explain to her all the reasons, like I'm getting older and, um, I want to try new training. And, and, um, even my mom is like, okay, but this is not, I don't think this is a good idea until you, until you have a team. And I'm like, I can't, I can't leave. I have to go without a team. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what it came down to. Um, because otherwise I would just be doing Bowerman training and it's harder and harder to leave when you've just been doing work with the team and training with the team and you kind of fall back in the mold. And so I was like, I have to leave without a plan, <laughs> basically. Um, and trust that, you know, I, I would figure it out. In the meantime, I would uh, work on my own training. When did you first, the thoughts of leaving first sort of enter your mind? Um, I don't really know. I think it was kind of like a slow realization. Um, I think when I was over in Europe racing, and I really experienced racing out in Europe this last summer, I was racing in Europe, and I was like, this is, this is amazing. I really love doing this and I want to go keep doing this. I want to keep 
racing in Europe. I want to keep racing in these big races. And I think that that was kind of like a mental shift. Um, there also was just kind of for the last year, I've been struggling with with um, my own issues. You know, my my family's in a difficult situation. My my brother's moving back home. My brother's my other brother's moving to England. My mom is is widowed, and my dad passed away. So it felt like in general that that I just needed a change in my life to kind of have a different outlook and, and keep pursuing my dreams. So it, it's kind of accumulation of things, but I would say probably this last year. And you said on Friday you hadn't had much, you've been playing phone tag with Jerry, but how would you describe your relationship with him right now? Are you guys still on good times? <laughs> I I think so. I mean, have you talked to Jerry? I, I think we are on good terms. I've talked to Jerry. You're asking the wrong guy, man. Strangely enough, I do think we're on good terms. You know, I, I Jerry sometimes doesn't, you know, he's not, how can I put this? He's not a touchy-feely coach, but he does care. And when he told me he didn't want me to leave Bowerman, it was because he didn't, he really did care about my career. Um, did he Did he go about it the right way? Probably not, because the, there's just a piece of that, Jerry, that he's not really good at. But um I'd say we're on good terms. I mean, the, the man, like, we can't, we can't deny how much history we have together. Like, he made me who I am as a runner right now. And he knows that. Yeah, did he reach out to you after the race? Or who did you hear from from Bowerman? Sort of what was the interaction there? <laughs> They're all happy for me. They're stoked. You know, I mean, they, they, saw, they saw the whole journey last year. The, the way that I struggled last year and the way that I had hot and cold races and um, the way that it's really hard to leave Bowerman, the way that it was a very hard decision for me to leave. It was like, these these guys are my best friends and I'm so much of my identity is tied into Bowerman. And they were nervous for me too. <laughs> They're just, I think they were just kind of like, is this really Woody's best decision for Woody or is Woody just losing his mind? There, there was always that question. Um, but I've always, you know, I, I think that it wasn't just me losing my mind and, and kind of following my gut. And so that's, um, they were really happy. They're really happy it actually worked out. Yeah, what did you hear from Grant? He just said, mate. <laughs> All he texted me was mate. <laughs> that's So I think he was stoked. Love, he loved it. <laughs> I mean, that's an, an interesting thing, right? Like, we always joke on Let's Run. I mean, we never run on, ran a professional team, so college was it for us. But, you know, who do you want to beat more than anyone? And it's your teammate in some ways. I don't know if that extends on the pro level, but, like, sounds like Grant and you are very close personally than your teammates. But when you race him on the track, like, what is that like? How intense is the rivalry? You know, he... I, I Honestly, I think the, the rivalry... <laughs> I hope it gets bigger. You know, it's like Grant's, you guys know Grant. He's a super nice guy. He's not really inflammatory in any way. And I'm, I'm far less diplomatic. Um, so if there's ever going to be a rivalry, I'll, I'll make sure to make it happen. But I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think Grant really cares. If I'm honest. Yeah. <laughs> but I do want to beat him. Well, I think USA's will be, it'll be interesting this year for sure. Uh, Cause 
suddenly this event, the five thousand in the US, is getting pretty pretty interesting. You got you, you got Grant. If Chalimo is around, that guy's a multi-time medalist. Who knows if he's got another year in him? Abi is suddenly coming up. Maybe Kupatia moves up. I mean, it's it's kind of getting stacked. I mean, it's it's no joke. I think I saw Drew saying he, he couldn't go to the five k because it was too deep, right, Drew Hunter? Uh, but yeah, hey, I I have faith in people who make the team already. That's what I'll say. It is stacked, but. Me and Grant Fisher, if we stay healthy, I, I think that's we're we're forced to be reckoned with, to be sure. Abdi Nur was already my dark horse for the year. You threw things off, Woody. Like I, I can't have like two breakout. Now that you're a breakout athlete of the year, but you broke the American record. So I know, man. Hey, Abdi is uh, he's training with me. So if I I got anything to say about it, he'll be up there. Yeah. So you're training with him. Are you like? kicking his butt in workouts or if he starts kicking your butt do you get worried or you don't care because Grant used to kick your butt in workouts I I really don't care about that that was never like just because I was getting destroyed in workouts I that was never a problem because I knew that I would race above that um, more so it's the fact that I want to just grow in my training situation like I, I want to finish workouts I want to uh, you know get a bigger aerobic base I don't want workouts to be cut short. Like that's not how a professional should see their whole career, you know? So it's, I mean, it's one thing to do it for a couple of years when you're, when you're developing, but I'm developed <laughs> at this point. So in the fall, you're coaching yourself the first time you're writing your training, maybe ever. And one of the things you say you start doing is double thresholds, which have become very popular because Mike Smith's guys do them. The Ingebrigtsens do them. Where did you get the idea? What made you? What made that appeal to you? Uh, is something you wanted to experiment with? Um, I, th- I I think that the idea of building my aerobic base and having a way of um, it not being all at once and not being destroyed by it was was very interesting um, because I've always hand I've, my whole career has been strength oriented at University of Portland with Bowerman and it's like. I finding a new way to do strength to get even more volume when I when I really didn't get enough volume at uh, at Bowerman or or when I did I was really tired um, to to do a seventy thirty five meant a lot every day because the workouts are so difficult and with this double threshold thing it, it just from reading about it and from talking to people it seemed you know I'm someone who likes to try new things I I'm very stubborn in a lot of ways, but I'm when I want to try something new and change, I'm very stubbornly committed to trying to change that too. Where did you read about it? Um, my friend George Kelly sent sent me, and I'm going to pronounce his name wrong, but Morris Bakken. Bakken. Oh. Um, so I he'd also read his book, um, and so we kind of worked on it together. And I didn't just do threshold training. You know, I, I, I would, I started the first two weeks with threshold training and then I implemented some of Jerry's, um, short speed work on the end of that threshold training where he would do 200 short rest, 300 short rest. And then occasionally I would throw in, um, like an 844 with this high volume stuff. And then when I went down to Mexico with, with Katie, my girlfriend, we hit up, uh, a, a track workout where 
um, I did a, a Bowerman, a staple Bowerman workout down there too, and just to see where my fitness was. So it wasn't just all threshold training, though it was the majority of my training in December. You said something about a 70-35. What, what is that? Um, it's 70 minutes in the morning, 35 in the afternoon. That's that's what I meant. Yeah. I thought maybe you did, but I just want to make yeah, sure. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, if someone who isn't like acquainted with that wouldn't understand. But these days, I'm 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 kind of experimenting with like 60-60, where I'm doing 60 in the morning, 60 afternoon. And I, I feel better doing this at the moment because that, that 10 minutes in between 60 minutes and 70 um, somehow makes me a lot more tired than running like a 60 minutes and then stopping there and then having um, a lot more time between my run and 60 minutes in the afternoon. These are just your easy runs though? Yeah, these are just easy runs. And how does the whole thing work with Nike? Like you're a Nike athlete. I guess you're not under contract to Barrowman. You're under contract to Nike. So you can go on your own i guess is mike smith the nike coach like does nike pay him or you pay him on the side how, how does that work or he just does it because he wants great athletes this is just pro bono at the moment now maybe something gets figured out if i'm like hey mike can i stay here i think we're having a good thing going on uh then we can figure something out but right now it's there's no like agreement and and mike is nau coach with some pro athletes on the side and NAU is an Adidas school. So if he were to be a Nike coach, it would be complicated. I would he say. worked with Galen Rupp or he still does, right? I mean, he coaches some Nike athletes. But I guess Nike can't pay him maybe. Who knows? Well, he coaches athletes from all different brands. So like oh, Luis is Hoka. So yeah, that's correct. Good point. That's correct. So he, um, which, which I, I like it this way at the moment. I like it with uh, a hodgepodge of different um, companies at the moment. I think it's a good setup. And setting an American record indoors, does that bring a, like a nice financial windfall? I can't tell you. Um, decent. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, decent. Sure. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's one of those things where like, I actually would get in trouble for saying if you said the number, I would have fallen out of my chair because... <laughs> yeah. John, that's what we should do. We should talk runners of my generation and see if like 20 years later, if they will actually reveal any numbers about their careers or something. I, I think some of them would. Yeah, I'd love to. One of the things, Woody, actually, I wanted to ask you this though. The 10 last year when Grant set the American record, you paced 8K of that, was that right? Seven. 7k but let's just keep it going let's say i went like nine I like it. yeah he, he was there until the last <laughs> lap and then he dropped off um <laughs> yes but like we we had gron on our podcast afterwards and he's like oh yeah i think i need to take care of woody or something and you know he really helped me get this record did he reward you did you get any sort of prize for helping him set that record yes so grant usually gets people a pair of jordans for a race but i was like dude i'm a nike athlete i don't need a pair of jordans um so jordans are nice but uh i asked for tequila he got me a really nice top shelf bottle of tequila, so which we all ended up drinking together. So that's kind of how I prefer it, anyways. Nice. Did you save it for a special occasion or anything? Sure, uh, just a team party. We were just at the team gathering. That's as good as it's gonna get. And you, is tequila your liquor of choice? Yeah, I think it is actually. Like good tequila is is um, 
just gets things going because there's just a mental shift of like, oh, this is tequila. Drinking. Yeah, you don't drink tequila casually. You take you drink tequila if you're looking to have a good time. Yeah, exactly. So I think it is. I, if I'm totally honest, I I rarely I'm an end of season kind of guy. Like I I won't drink at all during the season or hardly, maybe like a beer or two. But then after the season, I'll just be like, whatever, let's do it. Well, what is the season as a tr- as a pro athlete though? Because you're in January. We have Worlds in August. Like, do you consider? January to August, that's when you're in season or what's in season for you? Pretty much every month except for September. So September, I'm just a bubbling fool. Uh, (laughs) But the rest of the time, I'm a very professional runner. (laughs) Wow. Can't believe you count October, November, December. I feel feel like those would be down months too. But you don't think I'm too old, man. I like to, I I like to get up and still run two hours a day. Well, I don't think you can set an American record on January 28th without some serious training in November yeah. and December. So well, that was our problem, John. We would have had American records if we just trained in <laughs> October, November, and December. Damn it. I had to be serious. I had too much on the line, man. So, but yeah. You guys are yeah, when you, when you run 1251, is how much of that is relief? Like, man, I put this big bet on myself that I can do something outside of Bowman, and I just freaking did it, and I totally validated this decision like are you relieved by that oh man it probably was i don't know if it's out there with making the olympic team in terms of just the pure uh relief pride and what i you know very proud of what i did um yeah there was just so many things that could have gone wrong if i don't have a good race there Maybe Nike's no longer even interested in having me an athlete, you know, having a, an athlete leaving Jerry and training on his own. That doesn't, you know, maybe they're just like, no, sorry, next year, my contract's up, the end, up to the end of this year. Uh, but now I'm, I'm confident, like, Nike's going to keep me around. So, so there was, there was a lot hanging in the balance. And my, my family, you know, they, they depend on me a lot too to be, to succeed. So there was that too. Um, it was it was a very big deal. It was a lot of lot, it was a very big deal. And and the crazy part is is after making this change with Mike, it didn't even feel I didn't even feel the pressure like I usually do. Um, I was just like it was just been refreshing being with these guys who are, are super young and like motivated and just very very optimistic and positive. And Mike, just um, I like him a lot too. We just get along. So I didn't, even though after the race, I thought of like, wow, this could have gotten really bad. I wasn't really thinking about that before the race. Um, I was just like, we're going to race, you know? Um, so that, that was nice. That was, that, maybe that, that was the key right there. Mike wasn't in Boston. Did he give you any pre-race advice, phone call, text, anything like that? Yeah, he texted me the night before. Um, I mean, we talked right before I left for Boston. He's... He's kind of like a text every couple of days. He and I communicate like text every couple of days. And we see each other four times a week at the moment. So we see each other quite often. And when you like joined his group or hired him, or I guess you didn't really hire him, but how did that happen? You just reached out to him? Do you have a connection with him before this? Uh, how did you choose Mike Smith? Um, I, you know, I think I, I don't know who I texted. I texted around and I was like, hey, do you have Mike Smith's number? And they're like, yeah, here you go. And 
So I just text Mike Smith and said, you know, I'm sure you heard about the situation at Bowerman. Um, will you give me a call? Um, and, you know, I called him the next uh, week and he was in Mexico. <laughs> and he's like, have you really thought about, have really thought about this? And I'm like, yes, I think about this all the time. I can't tell you how many times <laughs> this has been consuming um, all my free time. I have thought about this. I put a lot of thought into this. And um, he's like, okay, well, like, you know, if you want to come out while you figure things out, you're welcome to do that while you look for another team. Mike, you know, I think, I don't think he, when he took me in, he saw it or sees it even now as like a permanent situation. But I, I do think I'm, I want to stay at the moment. Um, and I'm, I'm still trying to make a, make a splash here. So a couple things, just biographical things. I want to clear up some of the, well, I don't know if you call it mystery or not. Woody, where does yeah. the nickname come from? Always been Woody. Didn't know my name was William until first grade. Next. <laughs> but like your parents just called you Woody or what? So my dad's, I think it's, it really comes so, there's lots of, either my cousin couldn't say Willie and said Woody and it caught on that way. Or it, my dad's best friend name was, was Woody and caught on that way. I think it was kind of a mix of those two things. And what's it like in first grade finding out your actual name is William? Confusing. Deeply confusing. <laughs> but like, how did you find out? Was your mom filling out some form? I want to know the, the story here, if there is one. <laughs> I, I think that I, the, the, I gave, came home from school and my dad told me, you have to say you're present when they call William because they just marked me absent. And so I remember my dad saying that. William Kincaid is you. Okay, so when they call William <laughs> and Kincaid in class, you're just looking around for William to raise his high hand? They just never call my name. So just... Oh, that's fantastic. All right. And I also wanted to ask about the... Uh, I'm always interested in tattoo backstories. And you have a tattoo, I think, of a tree yeah. on your right quad. Is that related to the Woody nickname? And if not, like, what's the backstory behind the tattoo? Well, I, uh, I'm far more... I'm less spontaneous now, but in college I was far more spontaneous. And I was with my roommate who is Australian and not a runner. And he's like, I want to get a tattoo that um, represents Oregon. And I'm like, yeah, me too, man. And <laughs> my mom gave me $100. It was after school had gotten out. My mom gave me 100 bucks to buy food and groceries. And um, I, he went and got the tattoo and I kind of like, I was like, I'm going to do it too, man. I'm, I'm going to do it too. And <laughs> so I took my mom's, my money, my mom's food money, and I just slapped it on there. I Googled like conifer tree and I looked for a tree that I liked on Google. And that, that was, that's what it was, man. That's, that's the whole, that's how I got it. What is the, do you know the specific tree it is? Uh, I believe it's a Douglas fir. Okay, that's good, because that's the tree I associate with Oregon. I think it's the one on the license plates out there, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, do you have any other tattoos? I'm sorry? Do you have any other tattoos? No, that's it. I, I'm thinking about, I could maybe get Andy one day when I'm done running. Andy on the bottom of my foot. I like it. Who's Andy? Oh, man, it's dated, huh? Toy Story. Oh, oh Okay. No, no, no. I get the reference. I'm sorry. Okay, good. No, no. I've seen the movie. I, I understand. Woody, wait. Oh, Woody. 
Okay, now you just blew it. I just had another realization because your name's Woody. Maybe I should just get Jerry tattooed on the bottom of my foot. Jerry. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, I think I think that's actually I've first of all, I, can they even do tattoos on the bottom of your foot? I don't know. Like No, because well you can, but they they go away quickly because it's so cal or because it, it sheds skin so much, right? Yeah. Okay. I get well do you understand that reference though, Toy Story? Did you ever see it? I saw it, but I don't get the reference at all. Really? There's a Woody character, right? And then I guess, is Andy the other? I don't know what the Andy thing is. The, he, Andy has, he has a backwards N, I believe. Yeah, I think so. Woody the Sheriff has Andy um, written on the bottom of his boot because he, he's, he's Andy's toy. And I was, that was the joke. I was just Jerry's toy. Oh, that's pretty good, actually. It was a joke, yeah. It was you guys are good. way smarter than me. Well, it took me forever. It took me Woody explaining it to me. And then once he did, I'm like, oh, that's actually quite brilliant. But I didn't yeah. fully grasp it until it was explained. But yeah, that's, uh, that's, well, do you guys have tattoos? I don't know how we got here. I don't have any tattoos. I've never considered getting one. The Well, the only one I would have considered getting, I think, is the Olympic rings. Now, obviously, I can't do that, but... Sure. No, I'm saying, well, then, like, when I'm in college, I'm like, hey, if I ever get to well, high school, I'm like, oh, that would be kind of cool to do. But obviously, I never, like, once I hit my 20s, I was like, this isn't going to happen. I can't, I'm not allowed to get this tattoo. But Woody, you are allowed to get the tattoo, but you've chosen not to. Would you ever get the Olympic rings tattoo? Yeah, sure. I, I just honestly just haven't done it yet. Maybe if I make the Paris team, um, I'll get a Tokyo and Paris tattoo. I'm not, like, anti-Olympic rings. I just haven't done it sure um you could didn't you make a tweet once about how uh the best runner you beat the ncaa's was me oh i ooh, what so you brought this up i i never made it to ncaa so that's fake news but okay got it i do have there are a couple runners who i who went on to good professional success that i've beat and robbie andrews is one nice. johnny gagaric is another and you what do you remember about the 2012 Wisconsin Invitational in cross country? Uh, I was 32nd. No, you weren't. Oh, was that the next year? Sophomore? Yeah, I think I was 32nd my sophomore year. Are you sure? 2012? No, no, no. You, well, no, no. So it would be 2013. I was 32nd. I must have been 150 something. Yes, that one. Ago. Remember anything about that race? Because about, I think, 12 seconds in front of you or something was Jonathan Gold from Dartmouth College. That makes sense. I was looking for him, but I was going to, I was going <laughs> to, my rival, man. <laughs> wow. John, I didn't know I'm, I'm doing this podcast with two legends of the sport. <laughs> no, this is the thing. If I could just successfully dodge Woody for the rest of my life, I can always say I'm 1 0 against him and. I can claim all of your professional success as my own. You beat me by 12 seconds? Oh, I, I need to look up. I can pull up the TIFA's results and get the official. I think it was something like that. I ran 24-16. That was my fastest. Uh, that's legit. That That's not a bad time. I ran like 24-30 probably then, right? No, I was like 25 minutes my freshman year. I think I ran like 25 minutes out there. Yeah, we should mention that I am two years older than Woody, so I had that advantage. Or was it... This is 2012 was your... I was a senior, so whatever you were that year. I would have been a freshman, a true freshman. Okay. Don't diminish your accomplishments, John. Yeah, you were 24, Please. John, don't was, ruin this. Just no, no more context needed here. You beat Woody Kincaid. 
So, I, wow, I mean, he, he remembers all your tweets, John. There's this post here I posted on Let's Run. I'm talking to Woody Kincaid in 30 minutes. What do you want to hear? There's some good ones on here, but... Let's hear it. One of them was, he admitted on social media that he reads Let's Run. Does he still read the forums? What's the worst thing said about him? Um, I, I would say I read the forums, but some, some things, if I see, like, Woody Kincaid doping, I'm like, nah, not reading that one. But I, um, something like... Uh, well, there, were, there were a couple articles that... I, yeah, I'll read the articles. I'll read a couple threads, but yeah, I don't know. What's the worst one? Um, I don't know, man. The best thing. What's the best thing? I don't know. Like, what? Do we, why do we be negative? I really don't know. Like, yeah. I, uh, I always tell people, I don't know. if they're not talking about you, if they're saying something good or bad about you, it means you're doing something right in the sport, essentially. Like, I agree. Th- they don't talk about... Jonathan Galt for finishing 112th at the Wisconsin. Here's invite. the worst take. Here's the worst take. And it's when after it's after I had broken my arm to make you feel bad, John here. Ready? Uh, after I had broken my arm and kept racing, went to Europe, kept racing. I finally get a win in Europe and I let up at the line. And the only thing let's run says <laughs> is that, how embarrassing it was that I let up at the line. <laughs> I get a win. I finally win in a big race. And it's like, God, man. Which race was this? This was uh, uh, my last race this fall. It was, um, where was it? Zagreb. Oh, that's weird. Why would we write? If Rojo. you won the race, we generally Rojo. don't care why you let up at the line. You almost got beat, right? I almost got beat. And it oh, okay. It got beat because I did this and it's like how embarrassing it was that I almost got beat. It's like, come on, man. Now I remember that race. I mean, we're, we're supposed to be dispassionate reporters of the sport. So <laughs> I can't understand. That's like something when I watched that race, I, that, that would be something we would think is like, wow, what do you almost cost himself the win through an act of stupidity? So stupidity that's... wow right there john just okay sorry sorry he's given but, us like, an that's hour just... of his time he's the american record holder and he just called him thank stupid. you like, no, okay it's... but like if you lost a race because you let up at the line you would feel stupid right yeah, uh, yeah. i'm just trying to our job is to like we have a job to report unbiased yeah. to the fans but and at the same time i think sometimes we may need to do a better job of kind of understanding hey this is this athlete situation they are real people i always try to remember that but yeah Sometimes we forget just watching everyone on a TV screen 3,000 miles away. Yeah, I'm a sensitive guy, John. It sounded like fake news, John, though. A Jerry athlete racing in Europe a lot. I just was like, no, I don't remember this. Uh, that's a joke. Woody, it looks like I think you're in a motel in Flagstaff. When Let's Run was started, actually, or maybe two months at, before it was started, I just drove out to Flagstaff and there's a jillion, there used to be at least a jillion motels for the Grand Canyon. Are, are you just staying in one of those? Like, do you pay week to week? You could pay weekly when I when I was there. <laughs> no, I'm I'm. This is just the decoration. I'm I'm in the bottom level of uh, an older lady's house, uh, which is <laughs> fine. It's fine for a professional runner. Yeah. No, that's good, and that yeah. sounds a little more permanent than a motel. So I'm glad. Yeah, it is. I got it. I got a two months lease on here. Does she okay. know she's housing an American record holder in her basement? I think it's best if she doesn't. The less she knows, the better, man. I, you know, we're just, uh, it's, I'd rather she just review me based on my, uh, cleanliness or something along those lines. 
All right, Weldon, I think we're about the hour mark here. Do you have anything else you want to ask Woody? I think I think this is a productive, stimulating discussion. But uh, before we sign off, anything else you want to talk about? Oh, yeah, John. I mean, well, he said the, we, the thing he hates reading the most is, you know, like, are you on drugs? You know, some of these questions are like, what cocktail is he on here? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, like, you break an American record, people are going to say, like, Woody's on drugs. Bowerman, you defended Shelby. Like, what's your response to that? Well, I think that, man, this, this is going to be a long, I think there's a lot, this is a long answer. That's great. If you wanted to wrap it up. No, we no, can no, go. No, no, please go. We are known for having like 15 minute podcast that goes an hour or so. Okay. Well, the, the Shelby situation, um, we don't know how she got Mandalorian in her system. There, there's so many things I could talk about here. Like I, I you know, the burrito thing was the best example the best option that she could think of because she doesn't know how mandolin was in her system we can't deny that mandolin was there but she doesn't know how and i do know that other athletes who have gotten um you know uh beef or something like bad bad meat and they were able to prove that the meat came from or, or was tainted in some way they had no ban at all so at the very least, the way that Shelby acted and her actions surrounding the, the situation tell me that she at least did not know she had Mandalorian in her system, right? Because if she did, she just would have missed the test. She had never had missed a test. Her hair said that she had no Mandalorian in her hair follicles. She hadn't taken Mandalorian before. Um, so we don't know how the burrito thing that people latched onto is just, it's unfortunate because it doesn't. It doesn't really show the the actual side of the story. Shelby, we don't know how it got into her system. She most likely did it un, unintentionally, or perhaps it was a burrito. We don't know. Um, so, I've always defended Shelby's innocent um, by those standards, and I, I still believe she's innocent. Um, I think when she comes back to running, she's going to be a force to be reckoned with still, because I know she's so motivated and driven. Um, now, in terms of what it, how it changed my life, like, damn, you guys really got this out of me, huh? <laughs> um, how it changed my life, you know, this, the Shelby situation shook Bowerman to, um, it, it shook Bowerman up too, because Bowerman, um, you know, I, I'm part of Bowerman or was part of Bowerman. We know that nobody was doping on Bowerman. And it's tough when everybody assumes that now you are because you have a convicted doper. And I think even Jerry um, shook Jerry to the core. You know, I know what it's like to have something shake you to to your core. The Shelby situation was was earth shattering for Jerry. And you know, I, I lost my dad. It was an earth shattering shattering situation there too. So I think the Shelby situation is, is tragic. I, I don't know how to get around that. I know people are always going to say that she thinks she's that that she's dope. But I know she wasn't. And at the very least, I know it was unintentional. And it should have been treated as such, um, which I believe at, at most, the max ban should have been was two years and she should be in the Olympics again. But that's not what happened. So yeah, I could talk about this forever. Uh, but um, you know, Jerry doesn't deserve this reputation. Shelby doesn't deserve this reputation. Um, I don't think I really 
get much of the flack. Those two take the most of it. But um, I don't know what what could have been done differently, but I wish something would have. So sorry. Sorry to end on that note. No, it's good. Well, and one more thing. I don't know if this is like sad or uplifting, but like you mentioned your family, you mentioned your your dad a couple of times and I can't imagine, you know, losing. It, it hasn't happened to me yet. Both my parents are still alive. So like Sarah Lord's Butler wrote about when he was sick, but I didn't, you kind of kept it kind of quiet. I, I feel like, like, and we forget, like, you know, we act like Bowerman's your family. They're not, you know, it's your teammates. You can be very close to them, but you, ha- you know, you're a runner. You have a real family behind you and all this other stuff. Like, do you want to talk about your dad and losing him a, a little bit or just, I don't sure. know, pay tribute to him? I mean, it sounds like, you, I, I feel almost like we'd be amiss if we didn't mention it because you've mentioned him a couple of times and I feel bad. Not, I didn't know your dad died until, what was it, Friday night? Like, no, I, no, no. that's on me, but. <laughs> no, uh, the thing is like, I, I, um, you know, so people deal with grief. God, you really want to end the podcast on this? We can, we will end with pause. I'll, John, pull up some lighthearted questions to end this thing with. Okay. No, people deal with grief in different ways. And, and when my, my dad was a, a huge part of my running career. He was the sports guy in my family. He led me through running and, um, he's always been, a, a you know, he was a guide through the whole situation. And, um, I think leaving Bowerman, I tried, I tried so hard to think, what would my dad say in this situation? And I think he would say, you have to do what you have to do. You have to follow your gut. And my mom said the opposite. <laughs> so, um, what, 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 I don't know. I could talk about my dad forever, but he was, he was a big part of my life. And when you're dealing with anyone that's lost a significant other, um, you know, a family member or, you know, even a, a best friend or something along those lines. It's it's um, it's going to change your career. It's going to change um, not just your own career, but your. You see how it changes your whole family. So, I think this real move on Bowerman should be more attributed to that than anything else. Um, as much as the running community wants it to be something else, it probably is more um, more more personal and and very involved with um, my family. So, all right. Ending on a positive. Do you have a favorite memory of your dad? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you guys noticed, but I, I <laughs> he was there at the Olympic trials. You know, that was that was crazy. That was some Rudy level shit. Um, <laughs> that that was a very special moment, and uh, you know, it doesn't make it. It's not like okay, now you can die, Dad. That's not how. <laughs> That's not how it was, man. But I do look back on that um, really, and that that makes it. Um, yeah, it was one of my favorite mo- moments for sure. I'm like, with with my dad, he was so happy. We just like to see their parents like super proud and happy, man. Like that's that's something. Yeah, that's an awesome. I'm glad that you were able to share it with them. Yeah, me too. Um, but uh, most most of the memories you have or I have my dad are not like, they're just like memories. They're not like good or bad memories, you know? So Yeah. He's just, he's a part of your life for as long as you've been alive, you know? So yeah. 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 yeah exactly. So I didn't talk about it for a long time, but now I'm, I'm open to it. So anyway, well, thank you for sharing. 
And hey, keep the train rolling. I mean, yes. we got the race. What is it, Saturday? John, I got to I gotta go up now. I got to drive up there for this. I got to tell the wife. She's in charge. You're going to New Balance? Oh, the two-year-old. I need. I only live like, John, how far is Boston for me? Two hours? Two and a half? Two, mm, more like three or three and a half from where you are in Connecticut. Depends on the traffic. Hey, well, come on. It's a fantastic facility. When else are you going to see this track this year? This is the biggest meet they're having. So if you want to go to the Boston track. I'm, I'm honestly stoked to, I've never ran this brand new track. Get around a new track. Going after a fast time. This is like, uh, this is. I'm going to keep riding this wave. This is what I'm doing. And it's on national TV as well. This is great. We got... Oh, yeah. It's on this NBC? One, I, yeah. Is it on regular NBC, Wallen? I think so. Oh, I haven't looked yet. Oh, that's big. Yeah. You want to be a star? Break a record on regular NBC. That's what we're talking about. All right. Uh, well, yeah. Woody, thanks for joining us. Um, we'll see you in Boston this weekend. We'll see you at Milrose. I'm sure we'll see you at USA's in the summer. So... Uh, Thanks so much for the time. Yep. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Man, we went way over time. Appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, no, thanks for having me. Thanks for listening and making Let's Run.com the home of pro running. Remember, join the supporters club, let's run.com slash subscribe. Use code birthday to save 25% and give Jonathan Galt a huge birthday present.